This is the very thing that we're spending this short summer series working through, is what the work of the Spirit looks like in our lives. Uh, That the mark of a true spiritual person consists in the fruit, as our confession and as Scripture says, the fruit of godliness. And that is why we're going to consider the nature of that one facet of the Spirit this morning, that of kindness. So with that in mind, I ask that you would turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 145 for our Old Testament Scripture reading. Here, the psalm that we have before us is a psalm that praises the Lord for His kindness. As twice in this passage, it will tell us that the Lord is in fact kind in all that He does. Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty... And on your wonderful works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. That the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling, and He raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways, and He is kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but the wicked, all the wicked, He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Now turning with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6 for our New Testament lesson. All right, if Psalm 145 speaks of the kindness of God, then here we have Christ Himself calling us to model this same kindness to others. Luke chapter 6. Let's actually begin in verse 27. This is Christ Himself speaking. I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. 
And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. And notice the grounds for why Jesus says we are to do what we are called to do here. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And as our sermon text this morning comes to us from Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit produced by the Spirit includes kindness. And against such things as kindness, there is no law. In other words, kindness is not illegal with respect to the moral law of God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do ask as we consider uh, the depths of your word this morning that you would open up our hearts and as we meditate on the riches of your kindness to us, that you would transform our hearts that we might too walk in that same kindness. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, how many of us would ever consider kindness to be a virtue? In particular, to be a Christian virtue, right? This sounds like something you would perhaps hear uh, as you tune into Sesame Street on a weekday morning. It seems like, in, in some ways, a benign trait, a toothless characteristic, right? It seems the, to be the, the bread and butter of even um, uh, 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 elementary school classes in the public school system. How can we talk about this being a specific virtue and character trait of uh, the Spirit, a character and virtue, a fruit that is in fact produced by the Spirit of the living God. Well, I think it boils down to what is it that we mean by kindness? I think if we were to boil down a kindness to one descriptor, one phrase, one term, I think many of us would take it to mean little more than this, to be nice to one another. Don't get me wrong, I'm not telling you that that's bad. I'm not saying that you should walk away and say, aha, did you hear what the pastor said? We are to be mean to one another. That is not the point of what I am getting at. But rather to simply treat nicety and kindness as virtually synonymous, I think, uh, provides us with a rather toothless characterization, uh, especially in contrast to the way in which Scripture describes what true kindness really is. When we examine the Scriptures, I think we find a very different picture emerging. Uh, In my estimation, the most striking testimony that we have uh, is found in Romans chapter 3. With the passage I think many of us are familiar with is Paul himself citing the psalmist says this, there is none righteous, no, not one, no one does good. Quite literally, no one practices kindness. In other words, what Paul is saying is among the whole host of fallen humanity, there is not a single person who remains unredeemed by the Spirit's work who truly practices kindness. 
We have to ask ourselves, Paul, really? Nobody? Right? Have you seen Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? I think this puts us in quite the conundrum, doesn't it? Because we're left with two particular choices. Either Paul has gotten human nature wrong, and therefore Scripture has gotten human nature wrong, or perhaps, alternatively, we have radically misunderstood what kindness really means and really what it truly consists in. Might I suggest to you this morning that perhaps we have set the bar far too low in our understanding of the virtue of kindness. Might I also suggest this morning that kindness is not a weak virtue. It is not an anemic virtue. It is not uh, a benign character trait. Rather, it is a virtue that requires tremendous fortitude. It is a virtue that requires strength of heart. This morning, I'd like us to, con- to contemplate what Scripture tells us about kindness. And as we meditate on it, to let Scripture reshape our thoughts and our affections. Isn't that what Paul tells us to do anyway? Not to be conformed to the image of this world, but to be what? To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we would do, are seeking to do this morning, is to consider kindness in light of what Scripture says kindness is. And in light of that, find the strength of heart with the Spirit's power to practice a real biblical kindness to those around us. I'd like us to consider three things this morning. First, I'd like us to consider the kindness of God. We'll spend the bulk of our time this morning there for a particular reason that I'll explain in a few moments. Secondly, we will consider the fruit of kindness, which is the very thing that Paul describes here in our text this morning in Galatians 5. And finally, I'd like us to consider the significance as it applies to this particular congregation and our own hearts and lives as individuals. So the the kindness of God, the fruit of kindness, and the significance for us today. If you were to do a word study on that word kindness as it pops up in Galatians 5.22 and in the ways in which it pops up in at least the Greek translation of the Old Testament, something we call the Septuagint, you have one of those word Bible study programs, you take that word and you search to see how everywhere else Scripture uses the word, I think there are a number of surprising things that pop up. That of all the times kindness appears, I would say at least 95% of the time, more than anything, that word kindness speaks of God's gracious character. You read the Old Testament, there's no description of Moses or David being explicitly called kind. Not that they were mean or anything like that, but rather that virtue, that, that characteristic trait of kindness is spoken of most often of the living God. And more than any place in Scripture, we find this word, kindness, in the Psalter. As the people of God sing praises to the Lord for His steadfast love and kindness. So I think we do well to consider those ways in which, particularly the Psalms, speak of the kindness of God. First, the Psalms describe God's dealings with all creation. This is something we can call God's common grace. 
to be distinguished from his saving grace. In other words, it, it describes those ways in which God is kind to both the just and the unjust alike. In Psalm 65, for instance, David praises the Lord for watering the earth and providing grass and grain, that grain that feeds the flocks and causes all of creation to sing for joy. To such an extent, David, at the end of the year, he looks back on the harvest of the nation and he says this concerning the Lord's character, you have crowned the year with your kindness and all of your paths drip with fatness. He sees the abundance of the harvest, the rich bounty, and he attributes this rich provision to the kindness of God. Psalm 85, the sons of Korah proclaim the same thing. They say, you will give what is kind and our land will yield its produce. In Psalm 104, the Lord gives food to the farmer in due season. You open your hand to them and they are satisfied with kindness. In other words, kindness characterizes God's material provision to all mankind regardless of how the individual responds. As Christ himself says, the Lord causes it to rain upon both the just and the unjust alike. He provides food, water, shelter, clothing, health, life, happiness. All these good and gracious gifts are gifts that the Lord does not simply lavish upon the church. It is something that he gives the whole earth. And it's an expression of the kindness of God as he provides for all of our needs, even uh, the undeserving. And as we consider the sin of the whole human race, we would recognize that all of us are undeserving of such kindness. And yet the Psalms also denote kindness as a special way in which God expresses His saving grace to the church. Psalm 31, for those who fear the Lord, He is a refuge who is abounding in kindness. Psalm 34, the man who flees to the Lord as a safe haven is the man who has tasted of the Lord's kindness. Think of what it would be if you had a flat tire in the middle of the heavy storm and somebody comes that you've never seen before and picks you up and gives you a safe ride to your destination, calls the tow truck for you. See, that gives us a picture, an image of the Lord's kindness as He is a stronghold for the oppressed. A fortress for those who are under attack. Psalm 52 tells us the man who tastes the kindness of God bears fruit. There's that imagery again, that imagery we see here in Galatians 5. Speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, the man who tastes of the Lord's kindness bears fruit himself like a green olive tree in due season. Psalm 100, the psalmist beckons the righteous to enter Zion's gates with thanksgiving. Why? Because the Lord is kind. And his steadfast love endures forever. In Psalm 25, David asks the Lord to forget the sins of his youth. He looks back and he sees all of the transgressions he committed as a young whippersnapper. And as he bears under the weight of shame, he asks for pardon of sin, that the Lord would forget his sins on account of the Lord's own kindness. 
Psalm 109, the Lord forgives sin. He delivers His people because His steadfast love is in fact kind. Kindness then is described as an overlooking of transgressions. A kindly disposition, a beneficent disposition of goodwill even to those who have sinned against you. And yet the kindness of God goes even further. He not only forgives sin, Psalm 25 verse 8, He instructs us in the proper path. The path in which sinners are called to walk. In other words, the Lord says, don't walk that way. Get off that beaten trail. Get back on the main road. Psalm 25 says that itself as well is the Lord's kindness. Or even the Lord's discipline and correction is seen as a kindness, painful as it might be at times. It demonstrates His own love towards us. As David looks back on the sins of his life and he feels not just the guilt of his, shame, of his sin, but also the shame of his sin, he says, Psalm 119, verse 39, that the Lord in His kindness removes His reproach. He removes the shame. David walking around, as it were, with a giant scarlet letter emblazoned on his chest for all the wrong he had done. He says, the Lord not only pardons my sin, but he removes that scarlet letter. As far as the east is from the west, so does our kind God remove our sins from us, and he remembers our sins no more. He doesn't say, I forgive your sins, but now I'm going to dangle it over your head to try to manipulate you to do my own bidding. Now, there's a kindness here where every facet of our sins are dealt with, consummately dealt with at the cross as our Savior bears the guilt and shame of our sin. When we speak of the covenant love of the Lord, there's a Hebrew word that speaks of it in all of its richness in a way that highlights not just the love of the Lord, but His faithfulness and His kindness. That's why when you look at the ESV over and over again, you do a word study in the English, you'll see that the word kindness pops up over and over again. It is the loving kindness of our God that gives us reason to praise His name. And so as we consider the Lord's kindness towards all in His common grace, but in particular towards His saving grace, it forces us to step back and recognize the truth of what the psalmist says in Psalm 145 as we read a few moments ago, that the Lord is in fact kind in all of His works. Kindness is not just a descriptor of 3% of the Lord's activity. Kindness is written on everything that the Lord Himself does. In Psalm 136, the psalmist, if you read the psalm, it's this, this call and response by the worship leader to the congregation. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. The, the Septuagint translates it as this. Give thanks to the Lord for He is kind. Why? For His steadfast love endures forever. And it keeps going back and forth where the congregation is to shout, why? For the steadfast love endures forever. As the leader says, these are the things 
that our Lord has done in history to demonstrate His kindness. That He, being the God of all gods, has made the sun, the earth, the moon, and the stars. His steadfast love endures forever. His kindness endures forever. It is the song leader who says that it is in His kindness that the Lord has not only created the heavens and the earth, but He has struck down the firstborn of Egypt. He has brought Israel out from slavery with an outstretched arm. He has brought them through the Red Sea. He has drowned Pharaoh's army. He has trampled down Israel's foes in the wilderness, and he has led them into a rich land with a good inheritance. For the Lord is kind, and his steadfast love endures forever. I think what's striking about Psalm 136 is the kindness of God is reflected even on his dealings with Pharaoh and his army. We would look back and say, how is that kind? How can we call it a kindness that God destroyed the firstborn, that he drowned an army of men in the sea? That doesn't seem to be kind at all. I mean, imagine this. Middle of the night, burglar breaks in, armed, begins threatening your family, and you take out that burglar. Some ways, kind of mean. Burglar is probably not real happy with you shooting him or disarming him, breaking his nose, taunting him in various ways. But it's a kindness to your family, isn't it? Such is the kindness of our God spoken of in terms of the great salvation that we have in Christ. It is, as Sheldon Van Alken put it in his book, A Severe Mercy. It is not a benign virtue. As Paul reflects back on the Old Testament, he tells the church of Rome, this is Romans chapter 11, consider the kindness and the severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but it is a kindness to you. It's a kindness. See, God's kindness is not a benign virtue. It is a tender mercy that brings real relief to those who are oppressed by dealing with the ones who refuse to relent of their sin and treachery. And yet it is also a kindness that calls out to those same sinners to repent. This is how the book of Nahum opens up. Nahum, who as a prophet addresses not the people of Israel, but the people of Nineveh, who having failed to uh, continue in that call to repentance that Jonah had issued a generation earlier, Nahum says, who can withstand the fiery indignation of the Lord? The wrath of God is coming. But remember this, O Nineveh, that the Lord is kind. The offer of amnesty extends to the people of Nineveh, saying if you just turn to the Lord in repentance, you will be able to flee the wrath to come. Such is the kindness of our God to offer free pardon to those who don't deserve it. Paul gives us the purpose for this kindness in Romans chapter 2. It is the kindness of God that is intended to lead us to repentance. It is the contemplation of his tender heart to to sinners that softens the heart of sinners. 
If we could epitomize God's saving activity in a single word, we could summarize it in this word, in kindness. But that is exactly what Paul does when he writes to Titus. When he says that when the kindness of our God and Savior appeared, speaking of the incarnation, the fact that the Son of God took to Himself flesh and blood, a true body and a reasonable soul, and bore our sins at the cross that we might bear His righteousness, Paul speaks of that great salvific activity in the history of redemption as the kindness of God. It was a kindness whereby He saved us. By which He saved us. A kindness that is not grounded in our own righteousness, but according to His tender mercy. You see, kindness describes a tender-hearted disposition towards those who do not deserve it, regardless of how they respond. When Christ stands before His people in His earthly ministry, He proclaims to all those who are wearied by their own sin, He says this, He says, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. Learn from Me. And I, for I, I am gentle. I am lowly of heart. And we'll consider gentleness in a few weeks. But here he says, you will find rest for your souls. Why? He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The same root word there for light is that root word for kindness. Christ says, you see the weight of your sin, let me take that upon my shoulders. And now take, take my yoke. Be clothed in my righteousness. It is light. And it is kind. Because there's nothing that you can do to merit this. It can only be received through faith. And faith alone. There's a preciousness to this virtue. This is why in uh, the, the, the Greek version of the prophets, particularly Ezekiel, the precious stones of the new heavens and new earth, that word there for precious is the same word there for kind. The description of even the pavement of heaven itself is described as a glistening kindness. It is a kindness that is so good you can taste it. That's how Peter puts it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is kind. Taste it. So as we consider the, the kindness of God, extended in that general way towards all, but also extended in a special way towards the apple of God's eye. To you. To those who put their faith in Christ. It is a tenderness that overlooks sin. It is a kindness that removes shame. It is a compassion that provides a place for rest for the weary traveler. It becomes a hospital for those afflicted by sin. And this kindness is a safe haven for the helpless and the defenseless. And Scripture tells us in our passage we see here before us that the Spirit works to produce this same kindness in our lives. And so I think it's important that we consider the kindness of God since the bulk 
of the times that we see the word kindness is actually attributed to God's gracious character, we have to consider God's gracious character if we were to ever know what kind of character the Spirit works now by His Word to to work in our lives. It is by contemplating the kindness of Christ that we taste We taste of the Lord's kindness and that the Spirit begins to bear that fruit of kindness in our hearts that those around us might also taste and see that the Lord is kind. You see, it is kindness that distinguishes the man of the Spirit. What does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be Spirit-filled? I can tell you what it does not mean does not mean being abrasive. I think there are some who think that the litmus test for true spirituality consists in who could be the biggest self-righteous jerk in the room. I think we're all guilty of that. And look, I'm not trying to make the case that a real, Christ, a real Christian never addresses injustice or wickedness. This is why we have to think, uh, rethink the scriptural definition of kindness. Is it is not uh, a benign virtue that never actually stands up against what is wicked. It is not a virtue that fails to stand up for the truth. Rather, it addresses the manner in which we stand up. The manner in which we address wrongdoing. And to stand up against the face of vicious wolves and maintain a posture of gentleness and kindness requires great courage. It takes courage to be kind to those who have slandered you. It takes courage to be a safe haven while being slandered. It takes courage to protect the slandered from ravenous wolves. Again, Psalm 136, God's kindness was seen in the salvation of Israel, but how is Israel saved? Well, its salvation was seen in the destruction of the wicked. Abraham Lincoln in Baltimore in 1864 gives this really fascinating speech where he he talks about the purpose of a shepherd. The shepherd comes to drive the wolf from the throat of the sheep, and the sheep welcome the shepherd as the great liberator. But the wolves see that shepherd's act of kindness as tyranny. See, kindness is not a weak virtue. Kindness stands up for those who have been mistreated, and yet as we act to defend the defenseless as an act of kindness... Scripture gives no warrant for malicious cruelty in our own speech. That this spirit-wrought kindness must extend not just to our actions, but to our very affections. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells the church of Ephesus to be kind to one another. Well, you might ask, well, how is it that I am to be kind to one another? Uh, Help elaborate this for me. Well, Paul gives an explanation of what kindness towards one another means. It means by being tender-hearted and forgiving one another. Just as God in Christ forgave you. To the church of Colossae says the same thing, to put on compassionate hearts and kindness. Psalm 37, David says, trust in the Lord and practice kindness. 
See, unless the Spirit were to work on our hearts, none of us would be able to do this on our own. Again, there seems to be a baseline assumption in the world around us that everybody should just be kind and you can do this on your own accord. And sure, there might be vestiges of that kindness that they can practice, but not in the fullness of the way in which Scripture understands kindness. As Romans 3 says, there is no one who practices kindness. There's no one who practices kindness. No, not one. <clears throat> Excuse me, and yet... Our Savior who has ascended on high has given us His Spirit to so produce the kindness of God in our hearts that we might actually be able to walk in His ways. It's the purpose of Paul's letter to second, in 2 second Corinthians. This is the great benefit of the new covenant. The Spirit has been poured out in our hearts. We can now begin to walk in these very things and so imitate the character of God Himself under the influence of the Spirit. See, Sesame Street does not have the corner market on kindness. You're not able to practice such kindness, at least in the biblical sense, unless the Spirit works it in your hearts. And the Spirit will not work such kindness in your hearts if you have not trusted in Christ. Because Christ only gives His Spirit to those who have put their faith in Him. And you cannot bear fruit like this without abiding in Christ. So Jesus says, let my word abide in you. Abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. It is by meditating and contemplating on the goodness and kindness of God that we begin to see what the real path of kindness and holiness and righteousness really looks like. And so that leads us to our final point to consider the significance this morning. What kind of people do we wish to be? What kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to be a church that learns a bunch of new information, a bunch of theological eggheads, but still continues to berate one another and be jerks to one another? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, knowledge puffs up. But love edifies, and love is kind. Do we want to continue learning more biblical data with an unchanged character, or do we want to contemplate, be a church that contemplates the goodness of Christ towards us and towards sinners, that we might begin to be conformed to the image of Christ? Psalm 145 told us that Kindness marks all of God's works. And if we are to be conformed to Christ's image, we must recognize that kindness must characterize all of our works then as well. Both in a common way towards everyone, but also in a particular way towards the church. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul describes his ministry as a relentless kindness. That's 2 Corinthians 6, six. To the church of Galatia, he instructs that those who are truly spiritual must conduct a ministry that deals with the wayward in tenderness in a way that gently and kindly leads them to repentance. 
If we consider uh, the kindness of God as He's provided for uh, the just and the unjust alike, He even provides food and rain and clothing for uh, even those uh, who will never repent. Think of the office that our Savior has established in the church, the office of deacons, where they provide material provision for those inside the church and even those from outside the church to come who may in fact never trust in Christ. And yet, kindness is extended and exemplified in that office as well. So a kindness that is seen in the ministry of the word, a kindness that is seen among the elders as they, as they deal gently with the wayward, and a kindness that is demonstrated in the diaconate. Kindness permeates all three offices of the church, and kindness is to characterize all of us, both church officers and non, as we are tender-hearted and kind to one another, practicing forgiveness. See, the Psalter describes the kind man as the one who lends without expecting anything in return. In Psalm 112, verse 5. That's why our Lord said the same thing in Luke, 3, Luke chapter 6. We had read as our New Testament reading this morning. To love your enemies and do good to them and to lend expecting nothing in return. Why? Because your Father in heaven is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Therefore, you should practice such same kindness towards all. And so, again, I ask, as we try to have this church, this body shaped according to the principles of God's Word, what kind of body do we want to be? Do we want to be a social clique that simply practices kindness to those within our four walls? A social clique, a a final holdout for those of like-minded interests or perhaps even political views? Do we, want, do we want to be a group that looks down on those in the valley, those outside these four walls, and says, I thank you, Father, that I am not like these men? Because if we do want to maintain that attitude, Jesus says, well, I have a story for you. Let me tell you about the story of the, the tax collector and the Pharisee. Which one walked away justified? Which one really tasted the Lord's kindness? Which one had a heart that was truly transformed? Do we want to be like that, or do we want to be a church that shows strength of heart in practicing the kindness that our Father in heaven has shown to us, and helping those around us, even those who don't respond kindly to us, in showing kindness and overlooking sin and transgression and bearing with those as we try to instruct them in the proper way in which they are to go, to demonstrate a kindness that lifts burdens by proclaiming the free forgiveness of sins that comes through faith in Christ and faith alone. that lifts burdens by removing the great shame of past sins and failures, doing what we can to ensure that those gross feelings of shame do not return. Do we seek to lift burdens by pursuing peace and reconciliation with patience and in dealing with the wayward and the straying? See, these are the ways in which our Lord has shown kindness to us, and so we are to walk that same path of kindness not to be conformed to the world's anemic understanding of kindness, but to see our inner life and outer works transformed by the rich depths that are given to us in Scripture that attest to the kindness of God in creation and in redemption. You've heard the saying, you are what you eat. You eat junk food, you feel gross. 
Well, scripture talks about the very things that we are to partake in, the very things that we are to eat. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is kind. And that by tasting of his kindness, to be transformed in like manner. Remember here Paul's words in Galatians 5, there is no law against kindness. Or rather, kindness is the very manner and the means by which we begin to understand what it means to fulfill the law and to walk the path of holiness. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank you for your word and for your kindness to us. As you've demonstrated such kindness to sinners, we ask uh, that we would practice the same to those around us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.